There's a number of things that we're going to be doing this evening. So at the very least, we think you won't get bored tonight. Uh, we wanted to touch back into sort of the container of the retreat and the kind of the background of sila of ethical practice, but also just the container of the retreat. We'd like also to touch into um, an aspect of speaking and listening that is kind of interesting, maybe, maybe fun, <laughs> maybe weird. And then also to speak perhaps in a little bit more depth about listening itself. To begin, um, we're two days into our retreat now, so we've had a chance to begin to feel the sense of you know meditating together as a community. And it can be helpful to refresh and reorient with our um, how we are together. So one aspect that we'd like to touch into is just to reflect how's it going with the noble silence. And this is a reflection that you can do on your own. We're not going to enter into practice about it or you don't have to respond, but just to invite the inquiry. How am I doing, each of us? How am I doing with maintaining silence? with maintaining uh, distance from my electronic devices. Um, with other ways of inputting and agitating the mind, looking for something to entertain myself because in meditation I'm finding, wow, I, you know, without the bearings of all kinds of noise, I don't know what to do or who I am or where I am. Could be picking up a magazine somewhere or just about anything. So just to ask yourself that. How am I doing with the noble silence? And as we move further into meditation practice as the mindfulness begins to be established, as perhaps a little bit of concentration grows. Um, and as we enter specifically into the guidelines, listen deeply and speak the truth, we want to ask again, what is the uh, ethical basis of our practice. So speaking the truth, obviously, we don't want to literally lie, tell things that aren't true. 
telling stories about ourselves or, you know, this kind of thing. Harsh speech, how we use language that is crude and dulls the mind and is kind of uh, offensive and in that sense unkind. And at the same time, the guidelines speak the truth or perhaps the meditative container may seem to imply speak every truth that comes up to your mind. And this is not how the practice is actually. Is it true? Yes. But is it also beneficial and the right time and spoken with a mind of loving kindness? So there's care given to what we say. Um, which then ties in with our guidelines about kindness, about non-harming. It ties in with guidelines around sexuality. (laughs) You know, in insight dialogue practice where there is speaking and listening happening and there is relationship, the guideline about sexuality that exists on a traditional retreat of just celibacy for the duration of the retreat is actually insufficient because whether it's uh, uh, you know with people of the same sex or a different sex, whenever we impose upon them our internal life that involves them and then says, oh, I, I find you very attractive or something like that, we may say, well, speak the truth, right? But of course, Is it also beneficial? Is it spoken with a mind of kindness and at the right time? Because what something like that does is it can put the other person in a defensive mode. They've been turned into an object of your desire. And it can be very unwholesome and distancing. And for yourself, it's a uh, fostering of the notions of desire. So you're doing harm to yourself as well. So in Insight Dialogue, we give care in that way, a lot of care. We're not protected by complete silence. And likewise, with our non-harming, is our speech sensitive? Is it, is it uh, attuned? to uh, the appropriateness as regards someone else's, let's say, race, ethnicity, gender, color, whatever it is that may in some way emerge from us. And again, it can always be put under this umbrella. Well, speak the truth. I should just say anything I want so long as I think it's true. Right? So you begin to get a sense of orienting with a uh, enriched quality of right speech.
Another thing that can be useful at this stage in our practice, in our retreat, is to reflect on continuity of practice. So for the teachers, of course, we want to support you in developing a continuity of mindfulness and a a general trajectory of calming down greater tranquility, which then supports greater concentration. But we also don't want to sort of be up here and, you know, push you. But we do want to support you. So the best way is for you to support yourself, to, to understand the benefits of continuity of practice. One of my teachers, Ajahn Sobin, Thai monk, uh, so stressed this minute, refined continuity of sati, of mindfulness. And one of the places uh, that he would uh, emphasize this, because he knew it was an easy place to get lost, was when you're actually standing up or sitting down. So the actual act. So he, you know, he actually would teach us different ways of moving the body so that it can be with a continuity of mindfulness. The same way when he taught bowing, taught a very specific, you know, one foot forward, then then, and then the knee goes down, and then the other comes forward, and then a whole thing. It was mind training. It wasn't just devotional practice. It was mind training. Because we're enveloping within our practice this huge territory of relationship, of speech, and listening. If we were to begin to emphasize all these pieces, you would go nuts, you would hate us, you would leave, nothing would get done, because it'd be too much, you know? Like, stop harping already, you know? I'm already paying attention to how I talk, now I have to do this whole getting up thing. You know what I mean? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be suitable. But, I want to convey to you the sense of benefit of a relaxed continuity. You don't have to have all kinds of technique. Just to relax into a, into a flow of practice. Because if you're watching the mind, and the, what's going on in the mind, you don't have to watch everything about the body. No problem. Just say, how's my mind as I'm standing up? Done. How's my mind, this mind, as I eat? Done. But, you know, it's continually done. Also around now, 
is maybe a good time to remind those who already know this and to, for those who don't know it, to let you know it, that as the mind begins to cook in retreat, the ups and downs of practice are inevitable. That's natural. That one moment you're thinking, this is a complete waste of time. And not an hour later, you're like in the deepest place you've ever been. Has anybody experienced that on silent retreat? Right? So why would it be different here if the mind really begins to get bright with sati and samadhi, with mindfulness and concentration? It does happen here too. It can turn in a flash. It's the strangest thing, but that's how the mind works. You might go through half a day of saying, been there, done that, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> and then you realize the mind is somehow turned off. There was a place where maybe it needed a rest. Maybe it needed that space. And now, just by the natural way of things, it dives back in. yields some fruit of practice. Also, maybe about now, is a good time to mention. Just as our own practice goes through ups and downs, you can figure everyone else's does too, right? logically. Put that together with the different personalities and the different communication styles, the different energies, the different meditation backgrounds, and everything else. Sometimes you're going to come together with someone and it's going to be like ka-chunk and you're going to drop down into a, you know, a quality of where the, where the the mindfulness is really reflecting back and forth. The concentration is supported mutually. The pausing is incredible. No one's falling into story and that there's some touching of a vibrating emptiness. Sometimes it's just as certain you'll come together with someone and they will be in agitation, difficulty, disconnect, aversion to the teacher or aversion to the practice. Um, They'll be wrapped up in their story or some complaints of the mind or of the body and you're going to hear them, you know. And it's like, you want to practice. You're ready to go. 
Oh, you know, and the, the heart is disappointed. Oh, that's such a great contemplation. And this person is, look at their practice, it's terrible. And my practice is ready to be good. And theirs is terrible, this is terrible. Well, you know, maybe that's not the only response that's possible. Because always, even though you may not have the brilliance that comes in that mirror-to-mirror reflection of the candle of awareness, what you can have in such a moment is the deepening of compassion, patience, finding a pause even when there's no external pause, learning how to trust emergence as this person is vibrating and can you just see the impermanence of that, not get lost, you know, in whatever is being created of it. You can see your own reactions. Wow, look at those reactions. Look at all this judgment. Oh my God, that's scary. (gasps) Pause, relax, judging mind. Okay. Oh, this is better now, right? And you're practicing. You're in awareness the same way you would be if all of that clamor were just inside your mind and you were sitting in a meditation hall in dead silence. And don't tell me it hasn't happened, right? So the beauty of this is that when you sit with such a a person in such a state, that is exactly the practice for life. Because usually we go out in the world and we encounter many, maybe most, people wrapped up in the story, the getting, the doing, the aversion, the complaining, and all that. And how can we expect to move from this hall and this community of dedicated practitioners and the great privilege of that out into the rest of it if we can't do it here with all the protection? See what I'm saying? So that is good practice if we take it. We just bounce off in aversion. So it's a matter of our attitude of practice. However, it's also okay if in such a moment of encounter, you notice this, let's say your partner is going 100 miles an hour and you're getting kind of rattled and it's really hard to find your own pause It's really okay if you touch into the actuality of experience, pause and relax, let the mind of loving kindness arise and say, I could really use a pause. You're not saying to them, you must pause or your practice is bad. You're authentically kindly saying what you need in your practice, and that's okay. You understand? So there's a kind of a maturity, a responsibility about that. If it's done in a way that's sort of a blaming kind of thing, hey, I need a pause, pal, kind of attitude, that's not so helpful. That's just more judging and controlling and telling them how to practice. But when it's genuine, 
it can be very skillful. Because remember, two hours later, they may be the stable one and you may be lost in your story. (laughs) Right? And wouldn't it be beautiful if someone asks for a pause and you realize, wow, have I been on the train? Right? That's kind of a gift, isn't it? Good.